0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
0: John Warren's uh, in studio, decorated Marine veteran, author of a book that's now out this week, Lead Like a Marine, Run Towards a Challenge, Assemble Your Firearm, and Win Your Next Battle. Uh, John joined in 2005 and uh, was motivated after 9-11. Uh, And the book is not meant to make you necessarily a better Marine, but a better person uh, with some leadership skills you can only get if you went to Paris Island. Am I right, John? And Quantico. And Quantico, excuse me. So what were you doing before you signed it?
1: I'd been in college. I'd actually been recruited by all of the academies to play basketball, and I said I wasn't interested in that. And then 9-11 happened when I was in school and felt the call to serve like my grandfathers in the Pacific in World War II. Did
0: you uh, play basketball in college?
1: I played at W. L. Washington Elite.
0: And and what changed after nine eleven?
1: I just really felt like the the nation was at a tough time. We had been attacked by Al Qaeda. Um, I wanted revenge. I wanted to do my service, and I thought it was my time to serve, like my grandfather's. Why the Marines? The Marines are the best. They're the tip of the spear, and uh, I wanted to serve with them, and I wanted infantry the whole time.
0: Did you want? Uh, did your athletic ability help you through um, boot camp?
1: It did. I was at OCS in Quantico. All the officers go to Quantico, but um, I was in pretty good shape at the time.
0: Because you had your degree. I had my degree. So that means you go in as an officer. You so didn't
1: have to go in as an officer, but, you but it chose. gave you the options. So right, I went in.
0: and you won infantry.
1: I wanted infantry, and I wanted to lead Marines in combat. I think it's the greatest honor of my life, and— I have so much high respect for the military and especially the Marine grunts.
0: The same mount going in as you did, you do now,
1: uh, even more now. I mean, what the Marines do, what the corporal, the sergeant, they're the heart of the Marine Corps and what they were able to do in combat, intense combat, and especially fighting a counterinsurgency, it's just an it's an amazing experience and it's really difficult because one moment you're treating kids, you're handing out soccer balls, you're giving them lollipops and the next minute an RPG is flying by and you got a switch and all of a sudden you're kinetic. And, and, uh, and
0: you know, it's so amazing and so underappreciated how you guys adapted to the battlefield. First, they said the last thing Americans want to do is get involved in urban warfare. Well, guess what you ended up doing uh, for how many years and you got great at it. And it was not just special forces.
1: And um, one of the things we talk about in the book is do everything for a reason. It's one of the best lessons I think we can pass on to all your listeners. You know, Think about outside the box, why do you do all these things that you normally do, and can they be improved? And when we got to Iraq, things weren't going well in the Sunni Triangle. Things weren't going well in Ramadi, and we totally shifted uh, tactics. We started doing a census to find out who was living in every house. We started communicating and talking with interpreters, with the people. And ultimately, you have to develop the human intelligence to systematically remove the bad guys, the the money guys, not just the IED layers. Because most of the IED layers we actually felt sorry for, they're getting paid $50 for an IED to be laid, and they've got to feed their family. So you can kill all of those guys you want. You're not impacting the insurgency. You've got to systematically root them out, and, and we did that.
0: All right. Uh, also, John, uh, what you did too was cordoned off an entire city. You gave every people ID cards so you know who was coming in and out. And it was amazing what you guys were able to do. And I think with, with the surge in Iraq was underappreciated because a presidency switched. A president thought it was a bad war and pulled the troops out prematurely. Next thing you know, you had to go back in. And the surge, which was this great success story, got smothered by the, uh, uh, by the, the rise of ISIS which there, you also gone back and destroyed
1: there. There's nothing worse than fighting hard and bleeding for ground and then having your commander in chief give it up. And that's what we did. But, uh, you know, the Marines we're all about the fight and we can't, you know, we can't control a lot of decisions above us. So uh, what would your thought when Afghanistan when we evacuated Afghanistan the way we did I think it was a surrender of a country. And I think what we also saw was we had been lied to by politicians. And we've been lied to by generals who were in charge of training the Afghan military for two decades. I mean, they all told us, right? Hey, they're improving. The Afghan National Army hundreds great. of thousands of people. They're right. great. And, you know, they've got all this gear. And what did they last, 28 minutes against the Taliban? I mean, it was crazy.
0: Right. When we left the air cover and left them alone, they weren't able to do without American leadership. And, and, and
1: then you see the incompetence, too, of if you're going to pull out. You can do it much better than the way they did it. I mean, if you and I went to get coffee and we just had a back of the napkin drawing and sketch of, hey, what should we do in Afghanistan to pull out? It would have gone much better than how it went for them.
0: How about the integrity or lack thereof of releasing your after action report the day of Fourth of July weekend when everyone had gone, when there was no scrutiny on it without any fanfare and the conclusion was – we should have thought of worst-case scenario. I,
1: I think it shows incompetence, but it also shows a lack of fiduciary duty. All these people, they just serve themselves in office. They're not there to protect the citizens of the United States. They don't care about us. It's all to protect them, and I think it's really criminal almost. Hey, we're
0: speaking with John Warren. you got to pick up his book, Lead Like a Marine, Run Towards a Challenge, assemble your Fire uh, fire team, and win your next battle. So... For people that aren't going to go to Paris Island or Quantico, what could we learn from what you now understand and made part of your life?
1: So we wrote the book really to help anybody. Uh, One of the chapters we talk about is just be blunt and direct with people. It's communication. And we find that, you know, except maybe outside of New York, uh, people are not blunt and direct and it's not good. You don't know where you stand with people. It hurts relationships. And one of the things that we've been successful at doing is just tell everyone where they stand. That applies to your family, your your marriage, your coaching. You know the team you're coaching on, your kids' team. So I think that's very applicable. Small unit leadership. We talk about that and decentralized authority. Uh, We talk about eating last. You know, we have a story in there where General Mattis uh, he came. It was Christmas Day. He came on duty at base and relieved one of the young officers to let him go home and eat dinner with his family for christmas and uh right now i think across the board we're seeing leaders that eat first they think it's a privilege to lead with all these perks and it comes at our expense but they're supposed to be representing us and serving us are you talking about politicians you talking about the marines i'm talking no i'm definitely not talking about the marines i'm talking about politicians i'm talking about business i'm talking about religious organizations i really think we have a failure of leadership across so many institutions in society. And that's why we wrote the book.
0: Do you think that this uh, some of these concepts can be brought into everyday uh, life? Is Absolutely. It, There's a term. So you in think the, parents could benefit from this, too.
1: I think parents. I think siblings. I, everyone can benefit from the book. Uh, what did you need to learn before you went in? Well, I think when we went in, you go before you went into. When I went in, I think I had the core values because I was attracted to the Marine Corps. I wanted to serve, and some of the those traits that we find people are successful in, regardless of military or not, are extreme, hardworking, team players. They've got grit and determination, and they have a chip on their shoulder. They want to prove something, and uh, I think I had those characteristics. But the Marine Corps molded me. It toughened me up. Uh, It fortified my grit. And I think uh, it was just an amazing experience leading Marines in intense combat. And I actually learned a lot from them, too. They were a very experienced group when I got there. I was the stereotypical green lieutenant who shows up and says, hey, guys, I'm here to lead you. They had just gotten back from Fallujah. <laughs> so <you laughs> How know, did you win, their, win them over? I learned to keep my mouth shut until I was actually able to lead them and you got to learn things before you can lead, and I think I did a good job at that.
0: So you got to show some vulnerability, but not too much because you still got to be the leader, right? Uh, you
1: got to crush, crush them sometimes on discipline, but you got to listen to them on tactics, and you gotta, they've got to know, and I think this is applicable to everyone who you lead, they got to know that you love them and that you care about them, and I think all
0: my Marines know that. I think very similar, too. A lot of times a coach was not a great player. And you have these great players doing things you could never do out there. But you you, you got to lead them, and they yeah. could always turn around any moment. And go, you could never even you couldn't even get to that ball. Yeah. You would never even have caught that pass.
1: Hey, we talk about Nick Saban in the book, right? He was a defensive back for Kent State, and now he's the greatest coach of all time. Same with Vince Lombardi, right?
0: Right. Well, he was a Fordham. pretty yeah. He was yeah. Fordham, but he was a, he was a pretty good player, but he was not a great player. But looked up to uh, Paul Horning, which is pretty amazing. But yet he, he had to lead him. Um, So when people talk about the American military, which you just mentioned is the biggest weakness of the Russians because they have nobody that's allowed to show any initiative and they don't have commanders on the ground to make decisions, which means their generals had to come up front and a lot of them are being
1: killed. I mean, I think they've lost over 100 generals and colonists. Is that amazing to you? It's amazing. You
0: fought for 20 years in two wars and you didn't have that.
1: On one one account, uh, I I was shocked at how many – Generals were actually on the front lines. I mean, compared to our military, there's no way in Iraq you would have even had 100 generals on the ground. So but to lose them all and just the incompetence of the Russians in general in Ukraine has been staggering. I mean, how many tanks do you need to line up and lose before you stop sending tanks in a line? with no combined arms, no infantry, it's it's really amazing to me.
0: So you're studying that, and you also know what we learned on the fly in 20 years and how we adapted to the battlefield. They say there's over 200,000 casualties, minimum 50,000 dead. Those as I don't want to lose one American, but if you fought for 20 years and those were the numbers, I would think that's extremely high. They fought for 500
1: days. I mean, they've already, I mean, they said, by far, have already exceeded all of their casualties during their Af- you know, compared to their Afghanistan time.
0: Biggest disaster in their military history. Absolutely. So when you see that take place, do you think people have to take a step back and understand how resourceful and tremendous this generation, which you are a part of, warfighters are?
1: I think the, the Marines, the military, our men and women in uniform are really unbelievable. They're our greatest asset. I mean, we have great technology, but it really comes down to you've got to take the ground, you've got to bleed for the ground, and that really comes into grit, and we got it. Does it surprise
0: you the Marines are the only branch of the military that's hitting their recruiting goals? You know, the
1: Army missed their recruiting goals by 25%. They're consolidating units. It is unbelievable, but I, I, that really leads to a lot of problems in society, not just the military. I think we're up to, what, 77% of the U.S. youth don't qualify physically anymore for the military, you know, that causes a huge problem. I think all these woke policies in the military, you know, you want to recruit conservative kids like me. I mean, those are the ones that go serve in the military. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of great Democrats in the military, too. I'm not saying that. But these woke extreme policies, that does not help recruiting. That is a deterrent. And that's one of the reasons why the military is missing their recruiting. And that's a national that is a national security issue. They, they right don't there. want these
0: image ends of war fighters. <clears throat> they don't, and, and, and that's what
1: people, what attracts people to, uh, to the military. The the image that people want to see who join the Marines is them hoisting the flag on Iwo Jima. That's that's the image that makes people want to go into the Marine Corps. It is not celebrating Pride Month or celebrating a transsexual. It is. Amazing military excellence, and that's what we've got to get back to.
0: So Tommy Tomerville, a famous football coach, now senator from Alabama, comes out and says, uh, we're not having anybody's command confirmed, including the commandant of the Marines, until you stop this policy of using taxpayer money to allow men and women in uniform to go to a state in which abortion is legal. So if I was to paraphrase that way, that as awkward as I phrase that, how do you feel? Do you think this is the right cause, but the wrong way to fight it? A lot of people like Senator
1: Thune said, I understand the means, but I, I don't like the ways. I personally think the whole story is being framed in the wrong manner. They're framing it on Tommy Tuberville. The issue is the Pentagon. The Pentagon was warned. If you change this policy, this is what's going to happen. And that's what Tuberville told them. And. Rather than being concerned about our national security and having that as their first priority, they said, no, we're going to make paying for people to go get abortions, which has never been a policy of the military. We're going to make that our first priority. And they changed it. And they're the reason why none of the generals have been confirmed. All they have to do to confirm the generals is remove the policy. And all of those generals will get confirmed. The other thing that could happen is Schumer could have a vote on all these individual generals, but it seems like the Senate is too lazy or they're playing political motives again, and they're choosing not to do that. So I think there are a lot of solutions. I don't think this should focus on Tuberville. I think it should focus on, hey, we need to put national security first, and that starts with the Pentagon.
0: Okay, uh, listen, uh, we have a few more minutes with John when we come back. Decorated Marine veteran, author of Lead Like a Marine. We'll get some things that you could put into your life when we return. And also, I want you to weigh in on what we should be doing next uh, in Ukraine. Uh, The attackums could be on their way, but we only have 4,000 in our arsenal. Uh, Should that be a reason we think twice about it? You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Few more minutes with John Warren, decorated Marine veteran. His book is uh, is out called "Lead Like a Marine." John, a couple more minutes here as we watch. We're watching Chris Ray take some questions and some praise. uh, The FBI director in in Ukraine. It's kind of good news that we added Finland and Sweden to NATO. Right? Uh, We can't add Ukraine, even if we wanted to. It's against the doctrine can't have an active country in a war. Uh, How much more support do you think we should be giving uh, Ukraine?
1: I think it's a complex situation. I think first we have to really think about our own national security. I mean, I'm really concerned about our ammo being so low. I mean, even Biden slipped the other day and said, hey, we're running low on 155 shells. I mean, like, running. what he's saying is we're running out of artillery, and that's a scary thing. You know, we're also low on javelins. We've given the anti-tank weapon. 13 years worth of javelins to Ukraine and we're not we're not producing more to cover that which is crazy I mean the fact fact that we're using them
0: is one thing but the fact that we're not replacing them at the at a dizzying rate is nuts
1: it makes no sense I have a seven five and three-year-old and I think they would all say if we produce 13 years worth we should produce more if we give away 13 years we should produce more but we're not doing it we're short of amphibious assault vehicles or amphibious assault ships like the mini carriers that hold Marine battalions. I mean, China is the greatest national security threat that we've faced in 30 years, and we are not prepared in any way. But, uh, but degrading the Russian fighting force and exposing them
0: is in the U.S. interest. I do think it
1: is in the U.S. interest.
0: And keep that in mind. But I
1: think we can't do that to the extent that we weaken ourselves to where we can't fight our own wars.
0: Attack them, would you give them? The attackums, which are the
1: long range missiles. Well, I think part of the problem is, I mean, going back to the book, you know, blunt and direct communication. President Biden and the uh, um, administration, they cannot tell us what the strategic goals are or what we're going to do. All I hear is, hey, we're going to give them these weapons. We're not going to give them these weapons. And then two months later, what do we do? We give them those weapons. Right. So what's the strategy? How are you making these decisions? Communicate with the American people. I know that's a really hard thing for President Biden, communication, but it's embarrassing, but true. It's really sad. Uh,
0: We like a Marine. Some principles for people to take away. Last minute.
1: Hey, the last chapter, it's called Lead from the Front. It's about one of the greatest Marines I served with, Mike Ouellette. He was a corporal. He was a squad leader in the Nauzad district of Afghanistan. He was leading his squad. He took an IED blast that severed both of his legs. And with tourniquets on, he stayed in the fight. He set up his squad. He uh, repelled attacks by 50 to 100 Afghanistan Taliban fighters. He called on his own casualty evacuation report. He called on air support for Cobras to come in and save his Marines. And he refused to be evacuated Mm -hmm. until he was the very last person to leave the battlefield. Those are the leaders we need.
0: Absolutely. In every walk of life. Uh, John Warren, pick up his book, Lead Like a Marine. John, thanks for your service. Thank you. It was great to meet you in person. Thanks for Uh, having me. I hope to see you again. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.